I wanted us to partake in a wedding this morning. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and he closed up the place with flesh. And the Lord God fashioned a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. Zach, Melody, today you make a choice. Zach, today you make a choice to become husband. Mel, you have made a choice to become wife. It's true love. It's not a feeling that you have today. It's a commitment before God of your love for one another. Zach, I want you to take this ring and to give it to your bride, Melody. Repeat after me, if you would. Melody, I give you this ring as a covenant of marriage before the Lord, as a symbol to the world that you are my wife, as a reminder to me that I choose to love you alone for all the days of my life. Well, because you have promised your unconditional love and lifelong commitment to one another, before God and before these witnesses, I, as a servant of Jesus Christ, now pronounce you husband and wife. You may now kiss your beautiful bride. And so I introduce to you for the very first time Mr. and Mrs. Zach and Melody Gallion. And so they began their journey. And so many of you began your journey. In Proverbs 5, as you think upon the ceremony and as you think upon your life with one another in marriage, the end of Proverbs 5 says, And why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why would you embrace the bosom of another man's wife? For man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all of his paths. I want you to take this image, and I want you to let it sink in about the covenant and life together. Because in Proverbs 5 this morning, we're going to be taken down an avenue of wisdom to lead us and say, why would you ever want to leave this? Look at the way she's looking into his eyes. Look at the way he's longing to be joined in union with her in the covenant of marriage. Be attentive to wisdom, Solomon urges. And this morning again, we'll be learning what it means to be wise when sexual temptation is going to come along our path, along our journey. It obviously... 3,000 years ago, there was the lure of sex. And nothing has changed, has it, 3,000 years later. We are bombarded 
with images every single day. We know that we live in in a sex-saturated society. You cannot turn on the television. You can't go out in the streets. You can't, you know, open up a magazine without some sort of image coming before you. And the Lord is calling us, you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, into a lifestyle of purity. He's calling us into a lifestyle for those who are single of contentment with the Lord Jesus Christ, a lifestyle of trusting Him for what He has for your life. Here's what 1 Corinthians 6 says. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. It is meant for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. By His power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and here's the promise, and He will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ Himself? Let me repeat that. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Flee then from sexual immorality. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? That is who we are in Christ. That the living God dwells within us and we are placed in him and he in us. Paul, again, reminding the Corinthian church, don't you know who you are in Christ? You have received the Spirit from God. Therefore, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Well, how do we do this? How do we honor God with our body when, again, every single day we are just lambasted with all kinds of sexual image and and persuasion and temptation? Every single one of us, men and women, it's not just a man issue, married and single. How do we honor God with our body? How do we live out to please the Lord with this flesh he's given us? Well, as Corinthians says, Christ is in us. How are we able to face these challenges? Because we have the power of the resurrection dwelling within us. That's what Corinthians 6 said. Don't you know, He was raised up and He will do the same with you. Power of the resurrection. How can we face these images daily? How can we face it when we're at the office and, and things are coming our way that are tempting, where maybe we want to dive in and step back and remember for a minute who we are and that we have the power of the resurrection, God himself who dwells within us. And therefore we can call upon our Lord that we hold on to his promises of what he has for our lives, of who he is in us. 1 Corinthians 10 reminds us of this. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. And God is faithful. We are flaky. 
God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, not if you are tempted, right? Each and every one of us, just like Christ in the desert, are going to be tempted. And this area of sexuality is probably going to be one of the strongest temptations that's coming our way. For you young adults, single adults, man, we know the enemy just loves to work there just to take you off that path of righteousness. In our marriages that are struggling and we're hurting, boy, the enemy just loves to get you right there. You won't be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are, here's the promise of God and this is what we have to hold on to. He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up, that you can bear up underneath it, that you can literally have victory. You don't have to say, well, I'm just too weak to go here. I'm an addict, and so therefore I must. You know, I understand addiction. I've walked through a lot of journeys with addiction. But don't dare tell me that the power of Christ is not stronger than addiction. Because it is. It's Christ in us. He can break that addiction. He will help you to bear up under it. The question is, are we turning to him and saying, oh God, help, because I can't do it. As you guys know, it's an area that is just destroying society, isn't it? Sexuality. And I love that Solomon gives us wisdom from God into how to face into this. We've got to stop pretending that all these things aren't happening, that pornography isn't enslaving millions and millions We've got to stop being shocked, like, I can't believe my husband looked at it. It's like, are you kidding? Every day your husband's just facing these at work. We here at the church get images every day. We get, you know, buy certain pills to help you. Every day. We put on all the filters. Are you kidding me? Let's be honest. We face it every day. And so we have to help each other to walk in righteousness. We have to help each other to to please God together. Because, boy, the enemy is having success in this area. We need to offer grace to one another. And we need to help each other be freed up so that we can live for Christ in the area of our sexuality, in the area of being obedient to God with our bodies. Proverbs 5 offers us wisdom about God's way of life and fulfillment as we deal again with sexual temptation. This passage in Proverbs 5, not just to the married person, okay? It gives us great principles into what it means to to be sexually pure. It's dealing with, again, sexual immorality. It's It's obviously the father speaking to the son. We know that. And dealing with the mistress or the adulteress or the prostitute. But the principles that we glean are in areas of sexual immorality. And so it's for wives. It's for single men and women, not just married again. This chapter, I hope that we will soak in five through seven, kind of get in these areas of 
of the adulteress, the mistress. You've got lady wisdom, and then you've got the lady temptress, the harlot. And that's the battle. And Solomon, receiving God's wisdom, realizes the the battle that wages on. And so he calls us again to, to hold on to God in this time, to be wise as you face these temptations. It's a warning to flee from sexual sin, and it's also in this chapter a reminder of God's beautiful creation of sex and in, to enjoy it in this wonderful covenant of marriage. That's what chapter 5 is about. A warning and a reminder. Okay? So we'll get in here together. Verse 2 says, I want you, my son, to maintain discretion. Basically, it has the idea of, I want you to keep your purpose. I want you to remember your purpose of life. What is that? What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, all of our mind, our strength. Our purpose in life is is to love Christ. We love Christ because He loved us first. And so we say, Father, I want to love You. I want to live for You. I want want my life to be Yours. And so He says, my son, maintain discretion in these things. Keep your, your mind fixed on what your goal is. Because I know you want to live for me. And I know at the same time there's going to be all kinds of things. You're a fish upstream. Especially in the area of sexuality. But keep swimming. Keep running this race. Because in the end it is life. Everything that the world offers to you brings death. It sure looks like honey. It sure looks so sweet. He says maintain discretion. Remember the Scriptures, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. That you and Jesus are dialed in. You know you're doing this with one another. Right here. Keep your eyes fixed on me. We're thinking the same. We're moving the same direction. Because He's the author. He's the perfecter, the one who refines you in your faith. So let us focus on Him. Because if we start walking along the path, and then we start looking to the side a little bit. There will always be one there that looks oh so good. I'm tired of kind of stumbling and the, the challenges of this path. And oh, but this looks awfully nice. This looks like honey. And we will be tempted to draw off the path of righteousness. Each and every one of us. And so he's saying, I want you to keep your purpose. I want you to fix your eyes on the author of your faith. I want you to be aware of what's going on. I want you to be aware of the adulteress. I want you to be aware of sexual immorality and the draw into the temptation of that. Again, I love that Solomon. Solomon's not mincing words. He's not like, well, how do I do this sex talk? It's like, hey, here's what's going on. And again, you and I, we all need to do that. We need to be real, uh, just straight out. Here's the facts. Let's not shy away again from, unfortunately, a world that's taken a beautiful creation of sex and made it absolutely perverse. But we can live in the beauty of what God created. 
And so he's saying, son, I want you to recognize what it is. I want you to recognize the adulteress. What does it look like? And so he gives us some insight into verse 3. Oh, the lips of the adulteress, they just drip honey. Speech that is smoother than oil. How do you recognize the enemy? Oh, these seductive words coming your way. Enticing. Do you ever get this? You look good today. You look good today. Sometimes that can be just a nice statement up front, but you start hearing that over and over again. Boy, those are seductive words. Especially if you're needing some attention. If you feel like maybe your spouse isn't meeting your needs for the day, for the moment. And someone else is telling you you look good. That feels good. As they hear your life, husbands, do you hear this? Boy, you deserve to be treated better than that. Or, I wish I had a husband like you. Oh, these deceptive words. They try to draw you in. Women, have you gotten this from maybe someone who isn't your spouse? Boy, you're beautiful. You're a beautiful woman. How can your husband travel so much and leave you home alone? I really love your new hair. It looks really pretty on you. Did your husband notice? The life of a single person offering to each other, I'll take care of you. I really do love you. They draw on spiritual life of, let's have a prayer life together. But yet they're praying in private quarters. Prayer that is intimate and spiritual and deep. It's seductive. Seriously, if you're single here and you're praying together with one another without anybody else around, stop. There's a spiritual union there that is so strong. Remember when you become one? physically, spiritually, emotionally. Man, there's no greater time that I'm attracted to my wife after we've done something spiritually. Prayer, uh, doing ministry together. I'm like, dang, she is gorgeous. I want to be with her physically. I'm attracted to her because of our spiritual union. Don't fool yourselves. Don't listen to the little, let's go pray together and be by ourselves. And It's the lips of the adulteress of sexual immorality. I just can't resist you. They're smooth. They're enticing. Oil that causes you to slip right off the path. Words again that draw you in. But who is she really? Again, looks like honey. Verse 4 says, But in the end, basically after all of it happens, after you're drawn in, What I love about Solomon here is he reminds us there is an after. If you choose to dive into sexual immorality, there is an after. You don't stay in your bed in joyful bliss and abandonment. There's an afterwards. And Solomon says, and in the end, or afterwards, this is really who she is. She is one who is bitter has the idea of destructive. She will destroy your life. She's bitter. 
she tastes like gall, actually wormwood, this really poignant uh, uh, tree, this flower that just had this smell that was just strong, and it, it com- contrasts that of honey, which is sweet, and this wormwood that is just so, ugh, it's overbearing. This is who she really is. It seems all glamorous and sweet at first, but in the end, it is destructive and it tastes awful. And you know what the truth is? Many of us have woken up in that bed with someone who isn't our wife or husband, and you've tasted that taste. And you go, God, forgive me. How did I end up here? It looked like honey, and I desired it so much. And he's saying, I am in you and I will free you from this. Get up out of that bed and flee. She is a two-edged sword. That's who she really is. You know what the problem is with a two-edged sword? It cuts you no matter which way it's going. It cuts you going in, it cuts you going out. It's got two sides that just tear you apart. Oh, but the lips were dripping, honey. Oh, but she just ripped out your insides. And you try to get away, and she just jabs you more. She leads you to the death or to grave. Basically, that your life is destroyed. Your soul is dying with her. And her paths are unstable, 5-6. They, they quiver. They shake. There is no, there's no solid ground. You think that it's solid ground. You, you thought she cared for you. You thought he really was with you and cared about your life. Do you understand? It's this shaky, unstable, always wavering. These ones who say, oh, I love you, really. They don't care about you. There's no covenant commitment of life together. There's no sacrifice, no giving up. So they don't even know what they do. Basically, they don't even care what they do. They're so abandoned in their own lives and their own selfishness. It doesn't matter. It's like, ah, I just destroyed your life. My life's all turned upside down. And truly, their lives are tragic. The adulterer. They have no rest. They're always in motion. And, and, you know, honestly, from a great distance... There is God's prayer, you know. God, deliver them from their evil ways. That's not your job. You need to just flee. But other folks can come around and honestly care for the person who is the one enticing. Because they can be delivered by the power of Christ as well. Those are some of the characteristics of the adulteress. You know, whenever I think of honey, and this whole thing is speaking of honey that drips out, I, I think of Winnie the Pooh. It's kind of the first image that comes to my mind. And again, when you, when you, when you look at Winnie the Pooh, you go, man, that's awfully cute. And look at the little bees that are swinging around, and they wish they had their honey and that Winnie's taking, so they're sort of coming after. And Again, kind of these simple images that are fun and cute. And sometimes when we view what's going on with sexual immorality, with the adulteress, we're we're softened 
You know, again, it, it, we're like, in our view of Winnie the Pooh, it's kind of like, oh, you know, the bees come after him and he gets stung. And There's no shame even in our view of the damage that's going on. And what Solomon is trying to remind us of is, oh, the consequences are incredible. That, that we would get to a place where it wouldn't even be considered something that is shameful or we wouldn't really take a look at the damage that it causes. You know, I really, I'm always like, Lord, can you somehow instill a law where if some guy is going after my wife that I have the right to take him out of the picture? I've gone with men to the pursuer of wives. I've confronted men who've pursued my wife. But the law says I can't do any damage to them. But I confront them. We need to do that with each other because there are men and women who pursue after. And some of you have tasted that pain. He says the consequence of this is incredible. And, and yet the world is just kind of like, well, so what? Listen to this. I, I just was blown away by this. There's now a, a greeting card collection. It's called the Secret Lover Collection. And this woman, Kathy Gallagher, said, you know, there's just, there's not, there's, it's an untapped market. And people who are having affairs need to be able to have a way to express their emotions. And so it has begun this Secret Lover's Collection and it's displayed, she goes, obviously it's not, you know, a big banner that says the infidelity section. But here's what it's under. It's under love expressions. It's under intimacy. And then some of the cards say, I used to look forward to weekends, but since we met, it seems like an eternity. For the holiday season, as we celebrate with our families, I'll be thinking of you. A world that just goes, so what? And Solomon, who's saying, oh, wake up and realize the consequence of where this is taking you. Realize what's going on. Because what it does, here's what happens. It, it zaps your vigor, verse 9. It's basically your, your splendor, your majesty, your, your reputation. What will it do? It will take your reputation and it will just destroy it. It will destroy who you've longed to become. He said, if I had to do it all over again, I would not have done it. I truly regret the choices I made, he said with tears streaming down his eyes. Peter Cook, married to supermodel, now divorced to supermodel Christy Brinkley, because... An 18-year-old was dripping honey and because he wanted to go after it. Who seduced who? And he says with tearful eye, I wish I didn't do it. And his life is destroyed and his name is a mockery. And their whole divorce was public affair. We just had recently in Idaho, in Eagle, you saw the front page, as prominent businessman 
has a sexual encounter with two 15-year-old girls at his golf course mansion. And all the comments were, yeah, but he's such a good guy and a good businessman and prominent in the community. It destroys everything about you. If you're even thinking for a moment about going down this path, if you're thinking somehow I want a taste of that honey, Solomon is laying out for you. It'll destroy your vigor. Your best days of your life is what it's saying. It'll take them away. It takes away your money. Peter Cook paid $300,000 to to shut up this 18-year-old girl. He's paying $3,000 a month in in internet pornography because he was just drawn to this honey. Scripture is saying you will have much suffering. It'll be emotional. It'll be physical. You'll groan in your soul out of regret for your choice. It'll tear you up from the inside out. The consequences of it will last an eternity. God will do work on you. Your flesh and your body will be consumed. And basically, I think what the Scriptures are saying, and guess what, folks? If you want to dip in that honey, there is sexual stuff, disease that comes with that, and it will destroy your body. You think you can get away free and clear? Think again. You really want to taste in this honey? It will destroy your life. Verse 14, and guess what? It will come before the whole assembly. Secrets out, people. You thought you could hide. Here come all the cameras with their lights on. Everything you thought that you could hide away will be exposed. And your sin will be shouted from the mountaintops. Are you in a place where you're even thinking about this? Solomon says, oh, flee away. It will destroy your life. You will be ensnared to sin. It will take you further than you ever wanted to go. That's what verse 22 says to us. It's ensnared. It's an entanglement. And at the end of this chapter, the consequence is, which should really be the one that gets us most, is that in God sees all this. The one that we long to love the one who saved our lives, the only one who judges. But guess what? You will stand before that judge. I don't judge. Almighty God, Yahweh, judges. And there's consequence for sin. You think you want to go down this path? In your mind, have you been processing any of this? Have you been tempted to have your thought life go this direction at times when your spouse is displeasing to you? Solomon is saying, think again. So how do we live? We go, Father, boy, everything is coming against me. How do I survive up under this? How do I maintain purity? How do I live a life of righteousness in my marriage, a life of righteousness and and sexual purity. But especially in the marriage life that I've covenanted with my wife, how do I live? 
How do I achieve, uh, receive satisfaction? And he has an answer for us. He says this. Drink of your own well, verse 14. Drink of your own cistern. And what he's saying is, enjoy your bride. Enjoy your husband. Don't forget that image. Put that image up there again. Not the Winnie the Pooh. You can enjoy Winnie the Pooh. I love this. This, is, this image sits in my office because I just think, I love the way they're looking at each other. And he says, enjoy this. Don't forget this. Drink of this cistern. Basically what he's saying is your sex life, which God created, which is beautiful. He's saying, I want you to partake, and I want you to partake in this covenant of marriage with your beautiful one, with your bridegroom, with your bride. This is how you have life. You know, some of you have been married a long time, and sometimes you just need to stop and pause and look at your old wedding photos even yesterday in the paper, did you guys catch that? 75 years. I love that. And she goes, I, and I'm still going. Still going. 75 years. Oh, God, I, I beg God for that. Actually, I beg God he'll come before that, but that's a long time, 75 years. <laughs> but again, you remember this image. He says, I want you to drink from it. I want you to be satisfied in your own wife. May your fountain be blessed. Do you understand that, you guys? God is saying, I am the author. I am the creator of your sexuality. I am the creator of physical intimacy. I created it to be pleasurable. It says, and by accident. And so what he's saying is God's blessing is upon it. And this is the blessing in this covenant of marriage. Be blessed. Your fountain isn't supposed to be out in the streets. We don't want children coming from different women. Your fountain, your life together sexually is to be in this covenant. And so enjoy it. And this is what saves you, actually protects you in your life. We have contentment in the Lord, but honestly, in a physical way, when we are tempted outside of our marriage, we have to stop and say, Father, help me to love my spouse. And part of that, it's, not just, it's just not spiritually and emotionally. It's sex, physically. I want to be united with them. You created that desire in me. You know, truly, and, and Scripture speaks to this in Corinthians, but you've got to stop holding out from each other. It may be one or the other. But if, if you're playing, so to speak, hard to get in your marriage... You don't think one or the other of the persons is going to start going, I want to be physically cared for. And if someone starts paying attention to that person, you don't think that will be a temptation for them? You don't say no to your spouse. Obviously, it's not a pressure thing, but you stop holding out from one another. God created you guys to be together. It's beautiful in his sight. You know what? The world, again, has, has taken our sexuality and has destroyed it with all these perverse images. But God is saying, sexuality in the covenant, sexual intercourse in the covenant of marriage 
is absolutely beautiful to him. And so what he's saying is, and enjoy. Drink from that fountain. Enjoy your honey, truly. And rejoice in it. You will be filled. You will be satisfied. Protect your marriages by this. It's not just the physical act, right? But it's really coming together and saying, I love you. I love you. That's why I married you. How do we draw back? She is beautiful as a deer. That's beautiful. Grace. God approves of your sexuality. Remember that day in your covenant. That's real honey. That's real life. That's real satisfaction. When you call each other honey in your marriages, I want you to remember this sermon. You really are my honey. And I want to enjoy my honey. Be romantic again. Maybe you guys have been a little stale in that area. Honestly, have you got on a date lately just to love one another? You know, sometimes we kind of we joke or laugh. Oh, my gosh, it's been forever we've been out, or it's been forever since we've been together physically. That's not a laughing matter. This is your marriage. When we face a world that is saying, come and sleep with me, come and draw this honey outside of this context of marriage, Well, I wanted to, I was thinking as I was going through this, I thought, well, what, what if our body is ensnared? What if some folks have been entangled, like verse 22 says? What if you've gone down this path of tasting honey from the adulteress? We sin, we fall short of God, don't we? What if we're bound up in pornography right now? And we just keep trying to hide it and hide it and hide it. What if we're single and we have, we love God and we've met someone and yet we still keep entering into sexual immorality with one another? We can't seem to withhold. Yet we, we come to church together on Sundays and we try to live out this Christian life and yet we take advantage of each other's body without this covenant of marriage. What's God saying to us in this passage? Well, I really believe this, you guys, that that God in all of his grace, all of his grace, this very day, is truly calling you back to him. He's saying, I want you to have life in me. I want you to have life in what I've given you. I want you to be satisfied with what I've given you. If you're single, I want you to be satisfied in me, in the Lord. I want you to trust me for maybe what the future looks like. Maybe you get married, maybe you don't. But I want you to rest in me. If you've been tasting of other honey, he's saying, stop. And he's waiting for you at the end of the road like for his prodigal son. He's saying, will you come back home? Because I want you to have life. And he longs for us to repent. And if you ask of him to forgive you, he will forgive you. Repent. That doesn't mean just stop for the moment. That means change your whole thinking and go the other direction. 
That means I agree with God. And what he says brings life. That you would stop taking lightly that you're off the path. And that you realize, man, you keep going off this path and it goes right to the pit. That you would take into value if you're a single person, you'd realize, wow, I'm taking advantage of this woman who is not my wife. I'm not willing to covenant with her. And she's my sister in Christ, and yet I still say, well, let's just be together, intimacy-wise. And as a woman, you say, well, I long to be loved. And so let's just go down this path. Stop. Stop. I want you to pray this prayer in your heart with me. Okay? Close your eyes. King David was a man after God's own heart. And that's truly who he was. But he chose to taste of another honey that wasn't his. And there was severe consequence for that. And here's his prayer out of Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, O Father. Wash away all of my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak and are justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. O Father, cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Father, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice again. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. O Father, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Amen.